0: Hey friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like Him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. We are in a series called Jesus People. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Luke chapter 4. Luke. Just Luke, waiting for any anyone that knows how we say Luke in this house. Luke, yeah, that's right. Luke chapter four. We're in a series called Jesus people. We are. It's a discipleship series. We want to become uh, followers of Jesus who look like him in this world. So we are adopting his beliefs, his narratives. We're replacing our false narratives and worldviews and replacing them with biblical. Jesus narrative so we've been talking through his ministry and looking at that we're also looking at his lifestyle habits We'll call them spiritual disciplines or practices and the characters and attributes of God So every week is a different kind of subject topic last week. We talked about the ministry of healing Jesus invites all of us to practice healing today. We're going to talk about a fun practice called fasting Yes, all right go to Luke Chapter 4, let's check it out. So we're just going to make some observations about Jesus' life. And then I'm going to get down here and just read it close to you guys. Here we go. Um, Luke 4, verse 1. It says this, Jesus, say Jesus, Jesus. full of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. All right, I'll read the rest. Left, I like that. That was good. (laughs) Left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Say led by the Spirit. I got the rest. Into the wilderness, <laughs> where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Say hungry. <laughs> All right, so Jesus, one of the first things recorded about his ministry, he's baptized. The Father in heaven says, this is my boy. With him I'm pleased he's my beloved and immediately it says he's let he's oh and in, in that baptism he's baptized in the Holy Spirit Spirit comes down on like a dove and immediately he is led by the Spirit to the wilderness which we talked about silence and solitude the secret place so one of the first things Je- first things Jesus does for ministry is he finds a place to practice solitude with the Father also led by the Spirit. He fasts for 40 days. He doesn't eat anything. And I want to hear some hallelujah amens that the Son of God was hungry. Because that's good news. People are like, oh, he's Jesus. He's the Son of God. Yes. And he's, he has weakness and he has emotions and he, he feels tempted and he has to train himself to be who he was called to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Point number one, which isn't really a point. I just want to make it obvious. As we look at Jesus, he fasted. If you were just to look at practices of Jesus and apply them to your lives, if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't take on the practices of Jesus without the unction of God with us. Otherwise, you get secularism and self-help programs. We need God's presence to permeate and animate the activity we choose in partnership with his grace. How are we doing this morning? 11 a.m.? Jesus fast to Go to Matthew chapter 6. I'm just giving you some... Some of the assumptions I carry as a follower of Jesus and as a teacher, I'm trying to base this in the life and teachings of Jesus. I'm not asking you to practice anything because we just do it. We do it because it's anchored in the text. Matthew 6, Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. It's his epic collection of teachings on what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple or a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he makes some assumptions. I love the way he teaches this this epic sermon. But there's some things he assumes that you will practice as a follower of Jesus. He talks about giving to the needy. He talks about prayer. He talks about forgiveness and love. And then in verse 16, he says, Not if you fast, when you fast. Do not look somber as the hypocrites, those people who do things for show. They disfigure their faces to show everyone they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. What's the reward? Acknowledgement from man. But when you fast, my disciples, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus fasted and he teaches that his disciples should fast. So we as a church, we enter into the series Jesus People with the assumption that we will take on habits of Jesus. We will practice creating the secret place in our lives where we carve out of time and day and lifestyle alone time with God. And as followers of Jesus, we will choose to engage in this radical spiritual discipline called fasting. You with me? So what is fasting? I want to teach about it today. I got some three points in just a second. But let me define fasting. Fasting is not skipping a meal. Some of you are like, well, I forgot to eat. I was so busy. I fasted to Jesus. (laughs) Two things happen. You lost your reward because you told me. Just kidding. (laughs) I see you. Second is that's not the same as fasting. Fasting is the spiritual practice of abstaining from food or drink for a predetermined period. It's a decision that you will enter into it. And when you enter into this thing where you give up daily food for a purpose, it's sacred. It's different than what the world is doing with intermittent fasting. Now, intermittent fasting, we'll we'll look at why the world is obsessed with it because there are personal benefits to fasting. Physical, physiological, cognitive benefits of this physical discipline. But for those that enter it as a spiritual practice, fasting is a way of setting aside daily food to seek God with intentionality and intensity. Fasting is about centering your life on God, knowing that there are good things like burritos and burrito tacos. Burrito tacos. I was having this conversation with some kids yesterday. I was driving home. They were hanging out at our house with our kids, swimming and hanging out. And uh, they're like, what's your favorite taco? I'm like, that's a great question. That's a great question, young man. (laughs) Burrito tacos. Queso burrito tacos from La Taqueria on 7th Street, where our old venue used to be. Rest in peace, Garden Church, not at Franklin. That was my spot. I didn't tell any of you, but I can tell you now. <laughs> Spiritual. <laughs> I'm hungry. <laughs> it's like, gosh. I, By the way, I hate fasting. <laughs> I love food so much. Any amens to that? Because fasting is not one of those things that if I could choose top 10 spiritual practices, fasting's my least favorite. I will go to not speaking for 24 hours. I will go into silence and solitude. I will read the Bible in 30 days. I will pray. But fasting for one meal, come on, Lord Jesus, come back quickly. <laughs> so fasting, this, I want to teach on three things. That I feel the Lord reveals in Scripture what it can do. The, the spiritual discipline of fasting has the power to bring you spirit, uh, personal renewal. It gives you, it gives you the power to experience personal renewal, which I'll, I'll talk about in a second. It also creates a context in your life for spiritual revival, it creates a context in your life and in community where it, it, it creates the, the right ingredients for spiritual revival. And it stirs a prophetic imagination for cultural redemption. This one practice empowers you to experience personal renewal, spiritual revival, and sets the groundwork for cultural redemption and restoration. I want to show you that today. So let me pray. Lord, would you wake us up? in the power of your Holy Spirit, bring revelation to our lives. What we need today as manna to feast on you, Jesus Christ, in your presence through the word of God, through the declaring and proclaiming of the word of God, would you awaken and enliven our souls to be hungry for more than food, but for you, God. I pray we feast on you, God, and that we learn to engage our lives in a way that reveal your glory in our m- tiny habits, our small things that we choose unto- to do unto you. Empower us to build a church consecrated to you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's talk about personal renewal. So there's this uh, truth found in the world. There's this, I'm gonna skip to that, Boulder Medical Center research says that fasting boosts your cognitive performance. It protects you from obesity and the associated chronic diseases. It reduces inflammation. It improves overall fitness. It decreases the risk of meta- metabolic disease. There's, uh, and it benefits cancer patients. A recent study with mice and cancer showed that fasting during chemotherapy jumpstarts the immune system and exposes the cancer cells. Ridding the body of old toxic cells and replacing with new healthy ones may be just the answer to cancer. How cool is that? So yeah, let's fast. Boost your cognitive performance. De- increases your overall fitness. I'll take it. Fasting has physical benefits to your life. Now, Paul says in Corinth, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, he confronts the culture of Corinth. And what you're gonna read right now is from 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he's quoting the Corinthians. He says, I have the right to do anything. So that was a saying in the church of Corinth. I have the right to do anything. In Christ, I'm free, yes. In Christ, my sin is taken away, yes. I have the right to do anything, you say, but then Paul corrects it. and He says, but not everything is beneficial. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Yeah. How many of us know this? I have a right to eat ice cream every day. <laughs> not beneficial. Some of you are like, I didn't know that. I'm taking <laughs> notes. Put that verse back up. He says it again. And just so you know, In ancient Near Eastern literature context, you didn't have emojis. You didn't have bold caps. You didn't have any of that. You just repeat yourself to make a point. Hey, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. So Paul's addressing cultural issues in the church that you see in the church in Galatia. They will use their freedom to indulge in the flesh. So one of the ways that we combat the things that are good but could enslave us is through the discipline of fasting. It becomes a mechanism of training. So fasting is a non-cognitive spiritual discipline. Right? So it's, you don't need your mind to fast. You guys, yes, I got that. Got it. You don't eat food. All right, you don't have to think very hard about that. But the problem is when you fast, all you can think about is food. Amen? Isn't that interesting? That your body is doing the discipline. And this is why fasting is so powerful. Is it reveals what's underneath the surface of your appetite. Which is where we get the word hangry. Like there's a thing that happens to your soul when you take out food, food is a good thing, burrito tacos, take out burrito tacos for lunch and now there's this, there are these emotions. There are these physical feelings, hunger pangs. There are these motivations. There are these ideas and concepts that come out of your body. Why is it that I'm so angry when I haven't eaten? Why do I have such little self-control with my kids when I just need a snack? You see, that non-cognitive discipline is training your body in moments of weakness where you can't comfort your soul because you're intentionally engaging in this like a workout. When you can't escape the feelings of the need to control the need for pleasure, the need to uh, manipulate the outcomes, the need just to comfort yourself with good fried chicken. This is gonna be a hard sermon to get through. (laughs) Lunch is just around the corner. The discipline itself trains you so that in that posture of weakness, not eating, you choose, to respond and use that weakness as a training ground to form your character to be like Jesus. I enter into a fast, not to get good at fasting, but to look underneath the hood of my soul that's been filling itself with my appetites for pleasure, sex, food, food, consumerism in general we might not just talk about like replace food with shopping Amazon Prime social media news NPR podcasts but all that stuff is the consumption and when we say no to those things it reveals what's underneath more than any other discipline our need to satiate our soul with good things fasting look fasting unlocks this thing inside of you that empowers you to see what's going on underneath the surface. And what you'll discover when you fast is you probably have a lot of anger. You have a lot of bitterness, resentment. You have a lot of need to escape the emotions that you might feel because now you feel them and you just want to make them feel better. So you eat. So you consume. And I think more than any other thing, this might be a sensitive issue for lots of us because we have an inappropriate relationship with food. See how quiet it got? Oh, nailed your, I nailed your sin. Look at that. Nailed your idolatry right there because we're all like, inappropriate relationship with food. No, I don't. Nom, 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 nom. (laughs) I do. Right? And nobody talks about it. We talk about the bigger sins. But perhaps food is covering up a deeper issue in our life than anything else because we haven't seen it as an issue in our life. So fasting Prepares the way for personal renewal. Clearly, there's physical benefits, there's health benefits to this thing, but it sets the tone so that when you say, let's say Monday you're going to fast lunch, and you start feeling angry, and all you can think about is your next meal, and you start getting frustrated, what I want you to do when you do it is to be gracious to yourself, to be a non judgmental observer of your soul. Wow, there is a lot of anger. Wow, there is a lot of pride. Wow, I can't stop thinking about burritos now. Don't be mad when you're doing the hour of prayer that you set to seek Jesus and you're totally distracted by your hunger. Be gracious. It's about practice, not performance. It's about practice, not perfection. Fasting is entering into a discipline that's gonna be hard at first and then discovering who you really are. When the mechanisms of comfort are gone, personal renewal is the beginning. The second thing is it creates an environment, an atmosphere, a context for spiritual revival. That idea of like, it does something inside of your inner being. It gives you something that you didn't realize you needed. It creates the ability for you to receive from the Lord in a way you wouldn't have had you not partaken in the fast. It awakens something in your spirit. Now, I know it's hard to hear this because we're so Western and we're like, oh, we're mostly physical and we think materialism. I need you to see this through the lens of the inner spirit you have, that the Holy Spirit comes and permeates and energizes and animates. So go back to Luke chapter 4. Luke, let me hear it. Luke, you got to get deeper. Luke, there we go. Luke 4, so verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left, and it says, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He gets tested. So the Spirit of God leads him to be tempted and tested. Leads him to be tested. Leads him to fast in solitude and silence for 40 days. In his fasting, he's confronted with some demonic activity. In his fast, before I keep going, in the fast, all sorts of things come out. Number one, he's hungry. I'm so glad that's in scripture. Number two, the enemy tempts him. And the enemy tempts him while he's fasting in an area that we will all be tempted in, in our life. It's the primary form of temptation. He questions your identity. Jesus just heard from the father, this is my boy whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. I mean, come on. You start off with the affirmation of the Father. That the Father saying, You have what it takes. What's the very first thing he's confronted with in the wilderness? If you really are the Son, prove it. Turn this stone into piece of bread. Solve your immediate need of hunger. And then he'll go on to basically prove his messianic mission. If you really are this identity, prove your calling. Jesus is tempted and it's the fast that creates the training ground for him to become the kind of person that can minister in power. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in what? The power of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Spirit to fast. Out of the fast he's led, now he's returning in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something happened. Something happened in that space, in that context, for him to operate from a place of power where he will become the kind of person that when the worst possible thing is thrown at him, nails are being driven into his wrists and his ankles he will respond not out of anger and hate, which could be possibly something he experiences in that moment. He chooses to tame that and respond with, Father, forgive him. Where did he learn that self control? Fasting. Oh, he's the son of God. He always had it. I don't think you can prove that scripture. He trained himself in partnership with the Holy Spirit to become that kind of person that would respond with forgiveness. Fasting is the same for us. It's a, a personal renewal, but it's a spiritual revival. Look at Daniel chapter 10. The primary purpose of fasting is to fix your eyes on the heart of God. And fasting is about growing your, uh, a greater relationship with God. So in Daniel chapter 10, look at this. I want to show you something. Verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, A revelation was given to Daniel. Daniel has a revelation. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, Daniel mourned for three weeks. And he says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine, touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all for three weeks. All the ladies are like, wait, time out. What? Fasting lotion? Some of you are like, that is devotion. I can do, the fa- I can do food. I cannot do lotion. Dry cracked skin. <laughs> verse 12. OK, hold, verse 12, skip down. It says, so he, he fasts for three weeks. Then he continued, he's visited by an angel of the Lord. And listen to what the angel says. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard and I have come in response to them, but the prince of Persia, the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Okay, so check this out. This is a word for our generation. Daniel is someone to study for how we remain faithful in exile. How do we remain faithful when the world that we live in opposes our beliefs and values? How do we resist the evil indoctrination of the empire? Daniel is a model of resistance. We'll talk about it in a second. But Daniel has a vision from the Lord. He he has a dream, a revelation of some kind. He doesn't text his friends his dream immediately. He goes to the Lord for the interpretation. He doesn't send a voice memo for all of his prayer group to know how spiritual he is. He sets himself before the Lord to get the answer to something that concerned him to the point that he fasts for 21 days. And when the angel of the Lord comes to him in his humility through fasting, the angel says to him something that would frustrate the heck out of me. I heard you on day one. I was dispatched to you to deliver the message to you. But there was a demonic force over this Persian region that kept me from delivering this message. There is a cosmic unseen battle happening where there are angels resisting messengers of God and the will of God, and it required, he says, another angel came and took my place against that, uh, that fight so I can deliver this message 21 days late. What does Daniel teach us to a generation of maybes? Yep. Wow. To a generation of no commitment whatsoever. To a generation of feel good if my heart says to do it, I'll do it. To a generation that knows no sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice until you answer, Lord. I'm going to follow through with this commitment for 21 days until you bring a spiritual being into my house. And this message isn't for Daniel. It's for a generation. It's for the outcome of Israel, the people of God, in that moment. One person sets himself up for a context of revival. He's visited by an angel and therefore declaring to all of Scripture that there are spiritual beings all around us that are working in the will and way of God and against the will and way of God. And our participation in that matters. Yeah, right. How are we doing? Fix this microphone. We need to see our fasting as A practice that we do unto the Lord, that we seek, we let go of the small good things for the greater thing, the small good things for the greater one. And in our space declared as a fast, the Lord in time will meet us there. And I want to say there are fasts that you enter into that require absolute surrender. Um, I, I entered into a fast. I've shared this with you before. The Lord told me seven, uh, he gave me a dream in 2015. It took me a while to obey what I thought he was saying and it was to give up alcohol. So I gave it up for Lent in 2016 and then I haven't been able to go back. So I've been on a no alcohol fast for over seven years and that... Yeah, like I, that's not for applause. That's just because I have to be obedient, and I'm not. I don't think it's prescriptive because I don't think alcohol is bad. I think some people can engage alcohol with no problem whatsoever. Most of us have an inappropriate relationship to it. You don't want to hear that. Some of us have inappropriate relationship to substances, marijuana especially as it's been legalized. But we have inappropriate relationship with social media, with media in general, with our our team. You guys probably don't follow because that's at one o'clock today um or you're like i'm gonna be out at 12:45, no matter what we have an over obsession with our consumption amazon prime we don't even we don't even care what we buy we just like the dopey uh, dopamine hit from amazon prime you see we all we all have issues are we aware of what masters us so the lord when you set things apart there's a space where he invites you into a limitation say no to this little tiny thing so you can experience this abundance. Like when my son Ezra was learning to walk, we lived in a place that had no gate in the backyard. It The backyard went out to the front yards and we lived on 3rd Street and it was super busy in Long Beach. So, so, when he started walking, he was limited to our house and then we had the idea of putting up a little fence between the garage and the, the house so that he couldn't get to the front yard. It was a tiny little five-foot fence, you know, yay high that he couldn't get over. And now, that little limitation opened up the entire backyard of square feet for him to explore and play knowing that. He was safe inside an area. And the problem was he focused on the gate. (laughs) Meanwhile, he quadrupled the space of him (laughs) being able to explore as a child. But he just looked over that dang fence because he just wanted out there. If he just turned around, he'd see abundance. Fasting's the same. Give up the little things. Some of you right now, the Holy Spirit's dropping like airdrop style ideas into your, the Spirit's airdropping. God did this first, by the way. (laughs) Apple didn't come up with airdrop. God did that. Think about the the gifts of the Spirit. They get airdropped, right? He's airdropping things in your mind right now and write them down, their convictions from the Spirit. Give this up. Release it for a season. Then say, God, how long? And then dedicate it and watch what God does to your spirit. All right, number three cultural redemption, probably the most important. I want you to have an imagination for what's possible. First, we live in a moment of time that I used to be a little less black and white on this. It is black and white. There is no neutral territory in our culture and world today. It is either part of the kingdom of God and expanding God's way of life, or destroying his way of life in the kingdom of darkness. I know it's hard to hear this in our Western context, but right now we live in a time where the kingdom of the world that we live in, our culture opposes the values and belief systems of the kingdom of God. It opposes the lifestyle that God requires of his disciples. And it's the norms that culture feeds uh, you over and over again through uh, our our, our things that we practice over a long period of time. If we're not careful, the more we consume our cultural goods and practices and its values, the more self-focused, the more anxious, the more addicted, the more entertained we are, and the more desensitized we are to the hypersexual messages and content we see every day. Every day you live, there's advertisements that are forms of propaganda Feeding narratives to you that you are not enough and you are inadequate and insufficient, and the solution to your problem is simply more. And the culture that we live in shapes our mindset, it shapes what we believe, how we interact, it shapes our habits, it shapes our lifestyles. It is an algorithm and godlike technology directed at your behaviors, and it can impact your mood. That's what we live in. And I'm not messing around anymore. I've never felt more urgency than I do now to wake up the church to what we're against because we can't compete with the cultural formation you're living in. If all you do is Sundays, you're missing out. You're being formed 166 hours a week, every week, and only two hours on Sunday of the 168 hours we get. We need to wake up. Culture shaping your mood, your ideas, your values, and your ideologies, and you need to be aware of that. It's so simple. I want to demonstrate the power of culture. I started going back to the gym a couple weeks ago. I've seen some of you at the gym. I know who you are. I like my headphones in for a reason, but I I love people, and I'll I'll interact always. So If you go to the gym, it's great. (laughs) But if you're at the gym and you don't have it that day, you need to get motivated. You know what I'm talking about? A good playlist is what you need to get you over the edge, right? And it it does. I've run marathons and a good playlist will get you to that line. Or your wife texting your friends behind you, go, go, go. And then that happened to me and Zach actually, it's a true story. My wife lied to me. She said Zach was like 10 minutes behind me. He was like an hour behind me and he just pushed it. It's true, you were an hour away, it's fact. What did you get again? I got four four hours. That's right. What was yours? Five, I think. Just kidding. It wasn't five. I'm just kidding. It wasn't that bad. So imagine if you don't have, you're, you're tired from the week, right? It's Thursday. It's almost Friday. You're almost there, but you got your kids. It's been exhausting. One of them's been sick, up all night. You don't have the energy. Imagine if you go to hit that gym with this on. You're on that treadmill. <laughs> Just like, you're, you're at the bar, but you're going to do some squats, right? And you're like, like could you imagine seeing me? And like, they're like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, I'm about to do some, Hah! pop it up. That's not going to work. Am I right? It's not, what does this do? You know what you want? You want a glass of wine? You want a journal? Pictures of your exes? Just scrolling through. Am I right? All right, you can stop that. that. That's the power of culture. Now, if you're at the gym, this is what you want. You get there. You show up. You're like, I'm going to hit this treadmill. This is what you want. You're, this like, you're, you're like ready. You, you could be exhausted. You're at a one, and this puts you to an 11. Am I right? All right, you can shut it off. You could have no creatine, none of that stuff at all. And you're going to finish the workout. (laughs) It's power of culture. Every day you wake up, you're being fed something that shapes your mood, your motive, your ideas, the way you think. Do I have what it takes? The world's like, no, you don't. Should I do this? Yes, it feels good. You're living and swimming in a culture. So how do we resist the culture? How do we create the power within us, the resolve to withstand the power? Go to Daniel chapter one. Let me just read a couple of verses. Daniel one, again, another example. Fasting becomes the mechanism. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. I know how to say it. I was just doing it for you. King of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. He surrounded the city so no one could come in and out. No sewage can be left outside. It was all stayed inside. There's no food coming in, no water supply. It was all shut down. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Oh, this is like Yahweh zero, Babylonian gods one. You would have been weeping, reading. Like, "What this is judgment on Israel. The creator of the universe released his hands in judgment and said, if you're not going to follow me and obey my way, I'm just going to hand you over to your adversaries. They occupy, they destroy the place where heaven and earth meet. They take the artifacts consecrated to Yahweh and they go somewhere else. This is a major defeat. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defects, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among them were chosen, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief gave them new names. So the Babylonians were conquerors. They knew how to conquer people. Their goal wasn't just to occupy new land. The goal was to change the culture of the people. To change the way they thought, the way they think, the way they worshiped so that the future generations would represent Babylon, not the conquered territories that they occupied. And there was a strategy to the P- Babylonian cultural formation. The Babylonian strategy for cult- cultural formation looks like this. Number one, lock down their cities, destroy their places of worship, desecrate their places of worship where you put in false gods into those houses of worship. You indoctrinate the next generation with false belief system, values, and narratives. You desensitize people to a pagan worldview and practices. You change their names and you change their identities so that these people will forget who their God was and the future generations will worship other gods. This is the Babylonian strategy, thousands of years old. Daniel's name meant God, Yahweh is my judge. His name become becomes a Babylonian prince, Bel's prince. He's named after a Babylonian god. Hananiah, Lord is gracious, becomes illuminated by the sun god. Who is like God becomes who is Ishtar. The Lord, Yahweh is my help, is now a slave to another Babylonian god, Nabu. Talk about conquering the minds of the next generation. Daniel and his friends represent the best of the best of future generation. They're teenagers, caught up in the midst of Babylon. And the question that Daniel, the book, is answering is how do I live faithful to God's way when everyone around me is unsupportive and oppositional to that position? This is the entire book of Daniel where you have the most powerful systems of the world in its time crushing another nation. Babylon is simply a deconstructing religious indoctrination corporate military demonic formation machine. Ah, It is. And that is, by the way, Babylon is anti-Israel. Babylon is anti-Yahweh. Babylon represents everything that Yahweh and Israel doesn't represent. It's dehumanizing people and you have this powerful military superpower indoctrinating a new generation and Daniel selected as this future Ivy League leader of the royal house to be taken 500 miles away after being besieged, 500 miles away after his parents were most likely murdered where he was put into this new pagan territory by just being in a foreign land. He's defiled by the deities that are worshiped there and then forced to be educated with Babylon history, Babylon philosophers, pagan worship, idolatry. He has to learn their narratives. He has to learn the way they think, and then he's fed food from the king's palace. It's not about the food. It's about what the food represents. The food represents the worshiping of idols, most likely meat sacrificed to a deity dedicated to the false Babylonian gods brought to the from the temples of Babylon to the court, or to the palace of Nebuchadnezzar and then they feast as they train to become the wise leaders of future Babylon. They are being indoctrinated. He doesn't say no to the Babylonian myths. He doesn't say no to the ideas of Babylon. He is able to practice cultural discernment and say this is not true but this is true. Instead, he resists the empire. All of the power working against him, they say eat and in verse 8, One of the most powerful scriptures, it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel resists this deconstructing religious indoctrination machine one meal at a time. He chooses to engage in their literature. He learns their stories, their perceived wisdom. He knows who his God is. He organizes his life around the prayer hours found at the temple after the great reformation of Josiah a few dozen years before, 70 years before him. And he will become an old man who will follow his pattern of prayer and fasting and he'll be tossed into the lion's den as they produce mandates that eliminate him from following and worshiping his Yahweh. And he will will resolve not to defile himself. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this amazing? What are the meats of our day? Or, Or maybe not of our day. What's the cultural norm in your life that the Lord's saying this isn't for you? This has a little too much power to influence you. Let's resolve in ourselves to not defile ourselves. It might not be a sin for the person to your left, but it might be an invitation for you, and therefore it becomes a sin if you don't obey. Because it's about obedience to the whispers of the Lord. Daniel uses fasting as a way of training himself to prepare himself to remain faithful to God in exile. Once again, like Jesus, he fasts as a way of securing his identity. He is Daniel, not Balthazar. He is Daniel, not the foreign name they give him. They can kill his family. They can destroy his place of worship. They can force him into slavery. They can change his name, but he chooses not to defile himself and it becomes a quiet strength of rebellion against the Babylon of his day. Are we training ourselves to see what the world is selling us, what the world is feeding us every day as we consume mindlessly? Brothers and sisters, are we desensitizing ourselves to what is clearly a no for the people of God in a culture that, of yes? Parents, I'm going to say it because it's so clear. I've been having lots of conversations the last couple of weeks about what's happening in schools, what's happening in our context. You need to pay attention. Are you discipling your kids to know that this is what God intends and God creates? Are you blindly, unintentionally letting your children be influenced by pushing play on the screens, not knowing they're being desensitized to a pagan worldview? Please wake up. This is an urgent cry. It matters right now. Your intention, your attention, your strength and quiet resolve, one meal, one screen time, one household will bring about the foundation for future generations to live on. Let me show you this. A few years before Daniel, they had the worst king in the history of Israel. 70-something years butchering kids to their idols. Giving all of God's people over to idols. And then this boy comes into power named Josiah. They discover the lost Torah, the law of the Old Testament. And in it, he repents. He tears his clothes and he reforms the worship of God. He rebuilds the altar. He reinstills the, the prayer hours. He brings about reformation, knowing that the judgment was still on the people of God, that one day God would hand over Israel for their, their bad behavior, their actions, them doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And eventually the, 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 the judgment comes through Babylon where they besiege they destroy the temple, they destroy Jerusalem. But Daniel... Daniel is the product of the great reformation that happened the generation before. As a teenager is thrown into the system of Babylon where he's been trained in the prayer hours, trained in the Torah reformation that happened in Josiah's generation. And he has whispers of it in exile. This one man and his friends are choosing to fast, choosing to engage, partnering. They become the greatest wise people in Babylon, and then another king conquers Babylon. They don't even know that king. A Persian king comes into power. They're faithful there. They're sought after for wisdom. They're thrown into the lion's den. They're thrown into the furnace, and God provides, and then they die out, but their strength and resolve is heard about in exile so that even after they're gone, what they embodied in exile is lived on in future kids in exile where we heard about one man who'd never been to Jerusalem, older than Daniel, a boy that's raised up in exile, hears that Jerusalem's walls are still destroyed. He weeps. He cries out to God. He fasts. And he goes before the king of Persia and says, send me home to rebuild the walls. And he takes the wealth of the Persian conquerors and rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem in 70 days. And it is the rebuilding of the Jerusalem walls that Nehemiah brings about because of the quiet resolve of Daniel. Your micro habits today have macro impacts tomorrow. Your no to good things for the sake of the great become opportunities and foundations for reformation of the future, for revival in the future, for rebuilding of the future. Do you have that kind of battle readiness of what you're called into? So fasting isn't about your spiritual piety. It's not about you getting physically fit and healthy. It's not just about you becoming spiritually alive. It's about setting a foundation for future generations of followers to stand on, knowing that there is a way now to live in Babylon without being defiled. That's the invitation to fast. To fast for the sake of the next, to fast so that you become a giant in the kingdom. So how do we do it? Some practicals. (laughs) Where do we begin? Quick disclaimer. Some of you should not fast, so don't do it. Don't, I I mean this sincerely. Talk to your doctor. Some of you, I want to say this generally. If you have struggled with anxiety or depression or any mental illness, don't just jump into a food fast. Your body is deeply connected to your mind and that could trigger some things and set you back. I've seen it in my life, I've seen it in my wife's life, I've seen it in friends, I've seen it in Garden Church. So just consult your doctor. Number two, don't start with a 40-day fast. (laughs) I have a friend, I'm not gonna name him. He was doing a Whole30 diet and he came up to me and he's like, I feel like I'm going through a dark night of the soul. Little did I know he was going through the Whole30 diet. Dark night of the soul is a big deal. It's, It's the quieting of the senses. Dark night of the senses is where you don't feel the presence. You feel the absence of God. It's a, it's a, it's a, a thing that I don't think happens as often as we want to make it happen, to be honest. I asked him this question, did you change your diet recently? He's like, yeah, I'm day seven in Whole30. I'm like, that's the problem. <laughs> Go eat some pizza and see what happens tomorrow. Sure enough, it changed his whole disposition. My point is it's a marathon. And when you train for a marathon, you start not with 10 miles or 26. You start with one mile. So go one mile at a time. And when you start your fast, when you start, we're going to start with one meal. So I'm talking about food. You need to know that in scripture, there was no social media fast, okay? There was no like media fast. Oh, I'm going to detox my digital life. Like we should do that, but that's not what fasting we're talking. about. We're talking about food and beverage and alcohol. Start small, start with food, start with one meal, use that time. So let's say tomorrow or in Tuesday, you want to fast. You're going to say, Tuesday, I'm going to fast my lunch. I'm, not going to, I'm going to eat breakfast, I'm going to eat dinner. My lunchtime will be dedicated to the Lord. That's what you do. God, I give you my lunchtime and give him that time. Grab your prayer journal, grab scripture, and dedicate that time as an offering to the Lord where you take 30 minutes to an hour to eat. I don't know who eats for an hour, um, but you take that, but, and you dedicate that space, as sacred place, consecrated to the Lord, all right? And do that for a few months, once a week, one meal. And then move on. Maybe you try two meals. And then maybe you try 24 hours. And then maybe you, you, you've practiced long enough that you can choose to do uh, extended time. We know there's seven-day fasts. There's three-day fasts. There's 40-day fasts. There's fasting in Scripture. There's all sorts of resources out there. I just want to remind you that you should just set, a, set some time apart, not eat for the sake of seeking the Lord. Go to the, the other thing. There's, you can fast food. We're going to start there. But we're also going to fast— um, other things as well. And I want to encourage you that you should fast alcohol. You should go through seasons of fasting, dedicating that to the Lord. Not for your personal benefit. This is a huge shift for us, church. This isn't about you. This is about God. This isn't about your well-being. This is about God and His being. Yes, you should fast alcohol to get healthy. 100%. That's the byproduct. But I'm talking about dedicating it to the Lord. You might be doing Pursuit 90, and you might have some fasts and healthy rhythms, but that, that's for your personal benefit unless you've consecrated yourself as a dedication to the Lord, not just for your physical well-being. It's a very different thing. It's an act of worship. You can, you can fast distractions. Let me just say that fasting in the New Testament or in the Old Testament and the New Testament is an act of worship. If you read Isaiah 58, where we get our name, the garden from, it says, is this not the fast that's required? And if you look at the Hebrew, when it says fast, it's the worship that's required. Anyways, alcohol, entertainment, social media, these are all things you can give up as you pursue your intimacy with God, because this is what it's about. Stepping into the lifestyle practices of Jesus to get the life that Jesus had, full of peace and joy and freedom and power from the Holy Spirit to do the things that Jesus did in the power of the Spirit. Amen? All right, let's all stand. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to Garden.Church. God bless you.